God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I know this kind of makes people nervous. <laughs> but um, I do care somewhat, but it's not going to stop me from doing it, right? Um, <laughs> that's good. I always I love Daniel's just uh, he's always giving us encouragement. That's a good thing. Um, but I like to kind of move around a little bit, so that's what we're going to do today. We have no gift to bring. This is what my wife Mary said to me um, about a month ago. We were going to a Christmas get-together, and she was kind of frantically running around and very upset that I was not frantically running around um, as I sat there and watched TV waiting for her to come out so we could go to the party, right? And so she says, we don't have a gift to bring. I thought you got a bottle of wine. And I said, no, I didn't. I, I thought you got a bottle, and you know where this is going. You know, we kind of went back and forth for a little while. And then um, I said, well, what are we going to do? You know, everybody else is bringing something. You know, somebody's got an appetizer, and somebody was bringing the entree. And we never bring anything because we aren't really much of, in the way of cook, cooking things. And I said, well, I, don't, I probably have a bottle of wine, you know, that's in the pantry. So we went to the pantry. We did, lo and behold, found one. Um, that we then took to the party. And Mary was very concerned that it was a bottle of white wine that may have been out of date, you know, it was too old. So then that got, we got into that, and we give somebody bad wine, and oh no, what is everybody going to think about us, and this, that, and the other thing. So don't worry about it, it'll all work out, right? You know, and that, of course, just was like throwing kerosene on a fire. It all worked out. But it does bring up something about being worthy of entry into something. You know, we then kind of are projecting other people's views of us onto them, saying, oh, they're, you know, it's the Coleman's again, and they don't bring anything, and they never bring anything, and we ought to stop inviting them to these parties, and what's wrong with, you know, that we're now going through this whole dialogue in our heads, um, which then makes us not even want to go to the party to begin with, right? <laughs> just back and forth, just stay home. We'll watch TV, it, you know. It's got to be better than this. And we do this not just on a silly example like a Christmas party, but we do it as well to ourselves in life in lots of ways. Um, we begin to look at what we have to offer, what we bring to the table in large ways and small ways as somehow less than someone else. I don't know about you, but when I meet somebody that's very accomplished for their age, you'll meet somebody that's got two PhDs and they've worked in London and done this and gotten a Nobel Peace Prize and, oh, by the way, they're 31. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what have I done with my life, right? You know, wow, that's great. Um, and we've all been there in that way, in one way or another, looking at what others have done, the accomplishments of others, the gifts of others, and we think that somehow what we do or what we are, or what we bring to the world is less than. That it somehow doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because other people matter so much more. 
or because other people in our comparison um, have done something greater than what we have done. And it can begin to wreak havoc on us, our opinions of ourselves, and even our ultimate contribution to life. Why bother is something that we can say. But we also do it in the church. I don't know about the history here at St. James, but I know that we oftentimes, particularly in the fall, will commission our Sunday school teachers in this big fanfare and this whole liturgy and, and we'll say these prayers and send them off to teach Sunday school. Or if we have a missionary, we do the same thing and we send them off to go out and uh, love and serve the Lord in Tanzania or wherever they're going. But you know, we don't do that for our Sunday cooks, do we? I mean, we don't send them off to the kitchen, right? Let's commission our cooks. And so somehow there can, there can become this idea that, well, what I do doesn't matter. What I do isn't really something that's going to, to, to be important in the grand scheme of things. You know, at the, at the chili cook-off, we had some of the youth hand out bulletins. I didn't commission them to hand out bulletins. And yet what they were doing was very important to what we did. Welcoming people, making them feel like they belong. That's important stuff. And yet, you know, we didn't commission them to do that. So is that less important? Is that less worthy than what our Sunday school teachers are doing or someone else is doing in the church? So you see where I'm going with that. We do the same thing there. And I think that our readings today are saying something very, very important about worthiness. And something that wasn't just said 2,000 years ago, but something that we need to know today about what makes us important or what makes us worthy in this kingdom of God that we're living here on earth. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and they have clearly been arguing about who is more important. Well, this gift is more important because they do this. So therefore, let's put them over here, and then you only do this, so you're only this much in the way of being important or worthy. And yet Paul comes in and he talks about spiritual gifts. And he's basically saying one's not more important than the other. We're all called to different things. All of us. Some of us are called to teach. Some of us are called to preach. Some of us are called to a ministry of hospitality. But they're all important. And then he goes on and he talks about the body of Christ. That, that one part of the body is not more important or vital than another part. Right? A foot is as important as a hand. They're all important as we move forward as the body of Christ in the world. And he said in verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. They're all important. We're all important to the glory of God. And I believe that Jesus is saying something also about worthiness as he talks or as we read about this miracle at the wedding in Cana. And this is the first miracle in John's gospel. John calls them a sign, right? It's a sign um, that points to God. It points to God's power. And as a liturgical church in our, our acolytes back here, we don't treat signs lightly. This right here points to something greater than it is, right? So in many ways, this is a miracle of vision for us to look at God. It points us 
to the divine. And that's what Jesus was doing with his miracles, with these signs that he was doing. And I, I love this. You know, so, so is the miracle just like Vegas Jesus? That he just, you know, wow, let's do this. And now this is wine. And so invite me to your next party and tip your servers. Is that, no, that's not what it was about. It was something much more than that. But I think, and a lot of people say, well, this was so that Jesus could do something powerful and miraculous so people would believe that he was the son of God. But you know what? I don't think that had a whole lot to do with it either. So why did he turn the water into wine? What, what is this miracle all about? Um, and I love the way his mother came to him. And, you know, a wedding in the ancient world, you take your biggest southern wedding that lasts, what, like a day and a half maybe, and add that, you know, by ten. It lasted like four days. It was this mega event. And if you ran out of wine, that was dishonor on your family. So you can feel Mary's kind of frantic behavior coming to Jesus. They're out of wine. This is terrible. This is horrible. And then so what does Jesus do? I love the way he answered her. Woman, what concern is that to you and me? Let me just say this. If I said that to my mother, trouble in River City, right? It's, it's tough stuff. Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. You've got to do something to prevent this family from being dishonored. That's, that's not why I came, to prevent this family from being dishonored. I mean, that's part of it, but it's much greater than that. And so then Jesus does something that I believe is revolutionary. He drew a line in the sand. He cast out this old system for something new. So how did he do that? In the ancient world, the, they had these uh, jars of water. They were about this tall, right? So think about this stand right here. That were all standing there. There were six of them. They were all filled with water. And so these were your entry into the party. You had to come in and ceremonially and literally wash your hands and your feet to get into the party. That was it. If you didn't do that, you couldn't come in. So it was your barrier to entry. And this jar represented the law. All the things that you have to do to make yourself worthy. Right? If you don't clean your hands this way, then forget about it. You're not worthy to come in here. You're not a part of the fellowship. You're not a part of the table. Go. Go away. So what Jesus does, he says, you want wine? I'll give you some wine. It's not just for your party and your enjoyment. This isn't just a party trick. I'm going to take your barrier to God and I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to take all the things that put you in the way of God's love and I'm going to break it in half, right? Only I'm not going to physically break it. I'm going to fill it up with wine. So there you go. Now clean your hands. Now clean your feet. Now prevent somebody from this fellowship. And so what Jesus is saying to all of us today, which is what is so miraculous about it, is there are no barriers to God's love for you and for me. All the things that you think you have to do by the law, the ways you have to wash your hands and your feet, and the things that you have to do, all of that, Jesus has said, is gone. I give you this gift 
And this gift will change you. This gift will cleanse you. This gift will make you want to be with God in ways that are divine and righteous for the whole world. But that's not what's going to keep you out. What you do, who you are, where you've been, your birthright, all of that is gone. I filled it with wine, right? I filled it with joy. And now this is for you. This is for me. There is no barrier. So what you do matters. Every day in every way. The little things, the big things, all of it. I want to tell this story because I love it. Andy Andrews told this story. If you all know Andy Andrews, he is an author and a speaker. He's almost kind of a motivational speaker. You'll hear him at different things but he is a devout Christian and always has a good message. And he told this story that I had never heard before as it relates to worthiness. It was a story about Norman Borlaug. You know who that is? He won the Nobel Prize for Peace, and he developed a system that would, where you could hybridize corn and wheat in arid climates. And so he won the Nobel Prize for Peace because, as Annie Andrews would say, and as the Nobel panel said, um, you, he saved, or is attributed, this hybridization of wheat and corn saved two, more than two billion people from hunger. The ability to grow wheat and corn in arid climates saved two billion people from hunger. But was it really Norman Borlaug? I mean, you, you look at this and he, this, great, this great gift, right, to the world. Or was it Henry Wallace? Y'all know Henry Wallace? Vice President or one of the vice presidents under President Roosevelt. Before he was vice president, he was the agriculture secretary. And he is the one, as ag secretary, that sent a young scientist by the name of Norman Borlaug to Mexico to a station that they set up with the specific intention of hybridizing wheat and corn. So maybe it was Norman Borlaug, but maybe it was Henry Wallace, who is the one that saved two and a half billion people. Or maybe it was George Washington Carver. Because as Andy Anders would tell you, George Washington Carver is the one who, and we all know what he did, 300 different thing, uses for the peanut and the sweet potato and all these great things. But he is one who, when Henry Wallace was a young boy, six years old, his parents had interaction with Dr. Carver, and they put their six-year-old with this man who instilled in him a love for agriculture, a love for different ways to use God's creation to feed people. So maybe it wasn't Norman Borlaug who saved two billion people. Maybe it wasn't Henry Wallace. Maybe it was George Washington Carver. Or maybe it was a man by the name of Moses and his wife Susan, who many years before that had a woman who worked on their plantation, who used to be a slave, although now she wasn't, and that made some people very mad at this time in these border states. I think it was Kansas. Um, her name was Mary Washington. She had a baby, and a group of Klan raiders came through, and they kidnapped Mary Washington and her newborn baby and took them off, and Moses and Susan decided they wanted to try to save Mary and her baby 
So they arranged to trade a horse for Mary and the baby with the clan raiders, although the only thing they got was the baby because they think Mary had died already. And so these clan raiders, as they were riding off, threw a baby at them. They unwrapped it, and this was George. And Moses and Susan gave George their last name of Carver. So maybe it wasn't Norman Borlaug, maybe it wasn't Henry Wallace, maybe it wasn't George Washington Carver, maybe it was Moses and Susan Carver who saved more than two billion people. And you get where this is going, right? And that's why I love it so much. You don't know what you're doing each and every day that sets the love of God in motion. The concentric circles that form, that, that go back to a simple smile, or a hello, or a class for a child, or, or something you do for a coworker that can change their life that ultimately could change the world. What you do every day matters greatly to God. It matters greatly to the eternal kingdom in which we live. So my challenge for myself, and I hope it's a challenge for you this day is to see that, is to look with intention each day with the relationships that are in your life, with the things that you do in the name of the divine, with the people that you invite into your life, because the good news is that those barriers are gone, that the love of God works through you, and that according to Jesus, everything. Every duty, every word, every smile, everything matters to God. Because you, we, are worthy. Amen.